Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of November 10th, 2020. And this is officially episode number 457. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. And we're back and we're alive. I've uh, removed myself from my bunker after... The election that lasted an entire week it seemed like it lasted forever. And, you know, it's not the first time it's happened. Everyone's acting like this is the first time it's ever happened. No, it's it's not. Anyway, we made it through that so far. Um, probably not completely over, but at least it's mostly behind us at this point. And now all of a sudden, now that all this politics stuff is uh, partially in the rearview mirror, I think we're going to start hearing a little bit more about the paranormal a little bit. I've seen a few things pop up about UFOs, nothing really major. And I think some of it's a little bit made up as far as politics and UFOs are concerned. But tonight, we've got all kinds of news from, well, maybe not all over the world, but uh, quite, a, quite a few different places. We've got some alligators. We've got some uh, Loch Ness Monster stuff. We got the MUFON sighting statistics for October, and we've got some, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, galaxy news, some stuff in space going on, which is always pretty cool. I enjoy the space stories, not, technically not paranormal, I guess, uh, but this show started off uh, doing what I call the out-of-this-world stories, because uh, sometimes these things are looked at as uh, out of this world, and who knows, maybe some of these things that we talk about on the show that scientists are struggling to explain could be communication from uh, intelligent life forms. I don't really call them extraterrestrial. I call them in intelligent because, my gosh, what we're dealing with lately on this planet, uh, if this is intelligent life forms, I, I, don't, I don't know what I don't know what is. Um, anyway. Uh, was looking over my calendar. So if you go to paranewsinsider.com, which is the official website of the Paranormal News Insider, I have an events tab. It's a second tab there on the left. And I've got my list of ghost conscious conventions, uh, UFO events, as well as cryptozoology events. And I, I made it. 2020 is officially over as far as my calendar is concerned. I'm sure... Maybe there's a few out there that are floating that I didn't catch for 2020, but you know what? I kind of tapped out after a while uh, because of uh, everything seemed like it was either uh, after pretty much the middle or end of March, eh, pretty much the end of March, everything was canceled, uh, rescheduled for later in the year, then canceled and rescheduled again. And it seemed like as we hit uh, June, July, uh, people were getting smart and just rescheduling for next year so most of these events now are in 2021 and uh, when i get time probably uh, obviously uh, maybe towards thanksgiving christmas time uh, while i'm putting together the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020 uh, also redo this uh, mess 
of the events page. It's just, uh, it's a mess. Uh, but hopefully, uh, a lot of these events will hopefully take place next year, and we can uh, we can uh, move forward with uh, some of these things because uh, I think people need an outlet. Uh, there was a handful of events that did go on, and, and some of these events were people just kind of thumbing their noses at uh, at COVID and and just kind of trying to get what they could. I don't know if it was just a dash for cash or uh, just wanting to get people together or just felt like, gosh, I can't cancel this thing, which I get, you know, it's putting on an event is, is pretty tough. Uh, but I think some people just took a little too far, but a majority of these events canceled for 2020. Hopefully they do take place next year and other news. So uh, mentioned in the chat uh, question, did I scrap the book of the week? Uh, no, not intentionally, uh, but I don't go out of the way to find a book each week. Uh, I do actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually have a, a book I picked out tonight because of some of the news that we, uh, that I'm talking about tonight don't really get to talk about too much. And I realized I only really only have one book on this topic. So uh, I want to add to it a little bit, uh, kind of expand it because it's my list of books. Again, by the way, if you go to Paranewsinsider.com. You can see my list uh, of books. Not sure where that came from. Oh, CryptidCon. Oh, uh, yeah, CryptidCon. So I thought CryptidCon was going on, but I guess that's canceled. Um, so my books uh, also on there is something I relaunched this year. I finally finished my list of books of, of uh, books of the week I've had on shows for a number of years. I think it's well over 100 books. And I'm not going after the popular books, all the books that are the, you know, the top 10 or top 20 books of cryptozoology or ghosts or, or any other topic. I'm going after the books that I really feel uh, have either helped me or I feel that can help anybody out there, whether you're a a longstanding investigator, researcher, or somebody who just wants to get involved in one of these fields or get to know uh, some of these topics. So I started talking about these books of the week Gosh, I don't know how many years I've been doing it, uh, off and on for, I think, about four or five years, and kind of took a little bit of a break. It was kind of overwhelming to have to pick out a book of the week. So now I, I don't force myself to do it each week, uh, but if the topic arises, definitely going to uh, throw a book in there. And we have a topic tonight that uh, you kind of have to have new books every now and again. You can't just read the old, same old stuff over and over again. We'll talk about that as we get into it. Uh, but there are some of the top books in all those fields that I mentioned, cryptozoology, UFO, and ghosts, including some of my books. Well, actually all my books are in there. Uh, so I have a lot of different segments uh, in there, uh, including regional ghost books. I started that because I had so many of those pop through the book of the week over the years, as well as uh, general paranormal stuff, as well as science, psychology, and miscellaneous. So, you know, it's not just about those three big fields. I think there's a lot of other stuff that we all should be reading to make us better researchers and investigators. Long way to answer a simple question. No, the book of the week is not gone. It's just uh, it's extra work, I guess. I haven't really had a whole lot of time to read extra books. But if you do have a book that you know of, that's not been a book of the week, or maybe you're an author out there, 
Now, I don't do guests. Uh, there's plenty of other shows that have guests on that uh, can talk about your book, but I'm willing to also talk about your book, but it'll be my my thoughts and feelings on it and uh, definitely plug your book and put it on my list. But I got to get my paws on it. I've got to read the uh, I got to read the book because uh, all the books that appear on this I've either read or I've read enough uh, reviews about them that uh, I can vouch for them as uh, being books that uh, definitely will help people who are trying to get into one of these fields or to understand these fields. Um, let's see how many Lloyd Auerbach books. There's three that I have uh, in this list. Ghost Hunting, How to Investigate the Paranormal, A Paranormal Casebook, Ghost Hunting in the New Millennium, as well as my favorite, probably my number one, yeah, I'd say my number one ghost book overall, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, A Parapsychologist Handbook. I just kind of paused. I was thinking, but as far as new stuff, that book is probably, or I should say not new stuff, but as far as uh, understanding ghosts from a parapsychologist standpoint, that's by far the best. Uh, I do like ones that talk about the history of ghosts uh, as well. But uh, yeah, those are, uh, again, I think well over 100 books. It's got to be more than that. Probably 140. I don't know. I haven't counted. Uh, but books from all over the place. I mean, your Hans Holzer's, uh, some people that I know that have written books, um, some of the academic type books that are a little, you know, a little bit rougher to read. There's also some kids' books in here as well. Some, uh, I think, uh, do we the Frank Robb book, coloring book? It might be in there. I'm not sure. Uh, but all sorts of really cool stuff. And yeah, I will have a book of the week tonight as well, hopefully, if we get to it here. So that being said, we're going to jump both feet into the water. And we're going to talk cryptid news. And, you know, it's fall. Doesn't feel like fall. Today was like 70 degrees. It was really warm. I actually went out uh, maybe about an hour ago. And I'll tell you, I felt like I was in Key West. It was really Really nice out. Well, it wasn't that warm or humid, uh, but it felt great. Uh, sad, though. It's probably going to snow in a week or so, but enjoy the weather if it's warm where you're at because it's not going to last long. Fall is here. It's November. Uh, all my neighbors have their Christmas stuff up already. It's it's a little crazy. And, of course, November also means deer season. So deer season is upon us in many states here in the United States. And a guy named uh, Corey Klochik was out tracking a 10-point buck he had shot. He was trying to locate where it uh, wandered off to. And he was walking around a pond when he suddenly spotted a three-foot alligator in front of him. Well, I guess that's not uh, too far out of, the, out of the realm of possibility. If you're in maybe Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, maybe Texas, even Oklahoma... South Carolina, Georgia, you know, those states uh, that have a lot of alligators. But, no, he was nowhere near there. Corey was actually in Minnesota. This encounter happened on Saturday, November 7th. And really weird uh, to uh, hear at this time of the year. You don't really hear too many of these uh, out-of-place alligator stories. It generally happens late spring, summer Maybe early fall, but not 
this far into November. But again, temperatures have been nice. So maybe uh, I'm not sure what they are up there in Minnesota, but uh, an amazing story that this guy just stumbled upon this alligator. And if you're in the chat room, a little bit of blood there on the alligator, but um, that's normal stuff. Uh, yeah, this guy collected a deer and an alligator in a hunting trip. Now, yes, he did kill the alligator, and some people I know are probably upset about this, but Corey had called a game warden and asked if he was allowed to shoot the alligator uh, and was given permission to do so pretty much instant, instantly, uh, probably after the game warden uh, stopped laughing or was in some serious shock here to hear that an alligator uh, was out there in one of the lakes. And, you know, as sad as it sounds, yeah, the alligator probably would not have survived much longer on its own as the waters uh, get pretty cold in Minnesota in the uh, middle of November. And you think about it, you know, we've talked about these alligator stories uh, for months, for years now. I think two years really has been really kind of captivated me the last two years and really started to look at these stories a little deeper. You know, and it, I guess it kind of comes from those urban legends that I heard when I was a kid about uh, alligators in the sewers and creeping around New York City. You know, is that real? Is that true? And uh, now you read these stories of, of alligators all over the Northeast, even in the Midwest, just popping up out of nowhere. Granted, they're not going on. They're not just spontaneously appearing and they're not just, you know, jumping on a bus and going up to, to Minnesota, they're actually just being released. It's it's pretty sad. And I think uh, it's probably the saddest thing of all these stories. It wasn't the fact that this poor alligator was, uh, was taken, uh, but the, the fact that somebody let this thing loose in a pond to die, pretty much, without reaching out to somebody else to help spare the alligator's life in the first place. I think that's the... The, the problem, you know, and it's uh, for some of these, uh, you know, in Minnesota, it's probably pretty expensive to capture. They don't have the equipment to do that. They don't have the training or probably understanding of alligators. Uh, then they have to maintain it. You have to transport it. Uh, granted, a three-foot dude like that, he's probably a little over three foot from what I'm looking at here. But, yeah, they can, they can be nasty. They're not going to kill you. Uh, probably get another foot and a half, two feet before any serious injury is, is looked at from a little alligator. But they can inflict a lot of pain. They can do damage. They can kill pets at that size. Uh, and they can disrupt the ecosystem pretty quickly uh, as well. So definitely not something that should be in the ponds of Minnesota. Um, and what's weird is uh, in October of last year, I reported on a girl who found a dead alligator in a lake in Minnesota. And that alligator uh, wasn't released. It actually had escaped its enclosure after a July storm had blown debris into the enclosure and allowed the alligator to climb out and escape. And they can be deadly. Uh, three feet or longer, they can uh, inflict some pain. They can uh, they can take a finger or a toe. Yeah, they, they can. They can inflict some damage. Uh, they'll definitely hurt pets. You know, once they hit the pretty much the five foot marker, that's when uh, human lives start to be pretty much in danger. I mean, granted, you can bleed out 
from losing a, a lint or a couple fingers or a finger from these things. They and they'll grab on and they won't want to let go. So, yeah, unfortunately, was taken. But it's again, it's probably uh, good on the expense thing. And shame on whoever let that thing loose. Uh, it's just it's pretty sad. But a weird story to hear in November. And let's see. Speaking of out-of-place alligators and last year, and I also saw uh, in the chat room somebody ask about Chance. Well, 2019's biggest out-of-place alligator was, yes, Chance the Snapper. Uh, out-of-place alligator was captured in Chicago's Humboldt Park Lagoon, pretty close to the water, the, uh, the lake there. Uh, he was nicknamed, yes, Chance the Snapper. I guess there's some dude who's a rapper. Named Chance? Never heard of him. Yeah, I have. Uh, it was captured by Alligator Rob, who's uh, out of Florida. And Rob was in the news all last year. He was on the show. Well, he wasn't really on the show, but uh, I talked about him here on the show all year long. He was actually uh, pretty much a local celebrity in Chicago. He got to throw the uh, first pitch out of the Chicago Cubs game. Man, that'd be great. Um, he was a... Oh, given awards, he turned on the fountains. He, I mean, key to the city, all these things. Uh, just uh, really embraced by the public. Boy, they probably could have used something like that this year. Uh, but uh, yeah, a big celebrity. And Rob's efforts helped give Chance the Snapper a second chance at life. And he's still living down there. From what I've heard, uh, Chance the Snapper is ruling the roost. I don't know, is that a roost? I don't know what they call the den, probably alligator den. Uh, he's ruling the uh, the location down there. He's pretty much the dominant alligator down at the uh, the park. I think it's in St. Augustine, and uh, he's he's having fun down there. But unfortunately, alligator Rob, uh, who uh, spends his pretty much his entire career helping people, helping animals, uh, and uh, Wrangling alligators, not a, it's not one of your top 10 high paying jobs. Um, unfortunately, Rob uh, needs some help as well right now. Uh, he's been busy since he caught his uh, fame last year and he's par- uh, published a pair of books and I've got both of them. Uh, the last one he had come out, actually have it autographed, which is really, really cool. And he's also launched a nonprofit organization called the Environmental Educational Awareness Research Support and Services Organization, all with his own money. So he's funded all this stuff out of his pocket. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Rob kind of felt run down. He was uh, short of breath and short on energy as well. So he went underwent some tests and found out he needs to have heart surgery, but unfortunately, he has no health insurance or enough money to pay for the procedure. Again, alligator saving, not a high-paying job and uh, doesn't really provide the uh, health insurance, unfortunately. And also unfortunate, Rob is also high risk as he's had heart surgery as a child, which makes his condition even more dangerous. Uh, Rob is also concerned as to how he will be able to support himself following that surgery as he recuperates if it is successful and he's uh, not sure, uh, obviously he's not going to be able to catch alligators. So he's not sure how he's going to uh, kind of live 
for a few weeks or months while he's not working. Um, and again, helping people in need is what he does. It's what he's been doing his, his entire life, pretty much. And now he needs your help. Uh, friends and board members of his nonprofit organization have opened up a GoFundMe page for Frank that launched uh, four days ago and seeks to raise $300,000. That sounds like a lot of money, but uh, medical expenses, heart procedures, uh, probably a couple of days in the hospital, that is not cheap. Uh, also, transportation, there's a chance that there's doctors in Chicago that are willing to do this. So again, although he's high risk, so uh, not a whole lot of doctors willing to do that. In addition to the fact that he has no health insurance, it's a, a really all around risky situation. Uh, and again, also to uh, pay the bills after his surgery. So it sounds like a lot of money, but it'll go fast. Now, as of yesterday, uh, when I heard about the story, I donated immediately. Uh, Frank Robb is, is a very, very nice guy, very down-to-earth, and uh, his books are extremely educational, and, you know, I felt like this guy needs help, so, you know, I can, I can afford that to help him out. Uh, when I donated, there was about 750 donor, donors at the time, and just over $30,500. Now, this evening, before I came on the show, I saw there was uh, 848 uh, donors and just over $33,400 donated. And I'm hoping that the uh, people of Chicago really pulled together. I know this was in the news, I think, on Sunday up there. And I think they're talking about it every day. So hopefully uh, it's it's really it's really kind of heartwarming to see that there's a few people that have donated $1,000 uh, to to, um, to Frank Robb. And, and hopefully he gets what he needs to uh, to be able to have this surgery because it's a pretty scary thing. Uh, you know, it's not like he's like, well, you know, I don't need health insurance. You know, he's he's wrangling alligators. It's probably way more dangerous than what I do. Uh, so uh, it, it is all around a very sad situation. And hopefully uh, he does get end up getting enough money to uh, to be able to do all the things he needs to do. And I'll throw that GoFundMe link in the chat room and I'll also have it on social media throughout the week. Now all these stories I talk about uh, I will be posting on Facebook as well as Twitter for the Paranormal News Insider and that's uh, Facebook forward slash Paranews Insider and Twitter at Paranews Insider uh, because Paranormal News Insider is way too long to have uh, under socials. So uh, yeah, don't worry. Uh, I only do probably one a day. I don't I don't throw 15 links at you. I don't advertise constantly. Not my thing. Uh, if you like the show, you listen to the show, great. If you don't, I'm not going to force you to. We all have uh, things to do out there. I get you. And uh, yeah, really sad situation with this. Uh, I was really shocked to read this. Uh, Frank Robb is a really cool guy. And it's I don't want to say I got tired of hearing about him. Because it was just so wonderful with this guy, just this really quiet, humble guy who just helps people, helps alligators, and loves animals to uh, instant stardom. You know, unfortunately, the resident herpetologist up there couldn't capture this alligator quick enough. And the public was getting a little bit antsy about the situation. And as soon as Rob came up there, the alligator became a celebrity. And they gave him a name. 
and all this. And, and then Frank became a celebrity as well. And uh, he's uh, really taken advantage of that in a good way. And it's really helped him develop his nonprofit organization. Again, he published two books this year as well, more kids' books. Well, the first one was a coloring book, and the second one is, is more of like um, middle school, I guess kind of almost early high school book. Very, uh, very good. I actually learned a couple of things about alligators in there, which I love alligators. seen a lot of them in the wild. Uh, so it was a really good book in my opinion. That's not the book of the week. Um, so, yeah, I'll have that GoFundMe page a couple of times this week. So you probably see that story more than once. So also encrypted news. This is the uh, the topic that just won't stop. The Loch Ness Monster. You know, I know he's one of the top creature. Maybe she. I don't know. I'm sorry. Could be a she. Uh, we'd have to look in the water and, and figure that one out. But uh, yeah, it's not my really my favorite topic, but I tell you, it just won't go away. It won't go away. Uh, it's an interesting year for the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, and if you've kind of paid attention to this, I know this is a favorite topic of so many people out there. Uh, lately, there's two sonar images that have created a, kind of a stir with some people saying that this is the most compelling evidence ever discovered of the potential existence of this creature. Uh, some people say that this proves it, that the Loch Ness Monster does in fact exist because of these two sonar images. I'm not convinced. Uh, I think these could be, like I've said before, a school of fish underwater, just a collection of cold water fish that just creates that image. Anyway, Ronald McKenzie on board his Spirit of Loch Ness catamaran, captured two separate images of what he thinks is the Loch Ness Monster in, uh, again, two separate images. Now, another captain has stepped forward with his own sonar image of what he feels could be uh, uh, yeah, one or two different Loch Ness Monsters. Now, let me explain. Uh, Rod Michie of Jacobite Cruises stepped forward to add his sonar sighting to the two previous captures. The only issue is uh, this sonar uh, image, yeah, it happened back in June of 2015. That's old news, dude. It's five years old. Where have you been? Now, he says of his image, he says, quote, I used to see surprising things visually or by sonar, but every time there was a logical explanation. But this contact was different. It really is unexplained. The equipment is improving all the time, and that is most likely to solve the mystery of Nessie. I saw things over the years that I did not want to make a lot of for fear of ridicule. But this sighting in 2015 was very similar to Ronald's, unquote. Yeah, uh, so where were you at? Five years. You never brought this up. And uh, there was also, well, we'll get into the, the other sonar find in 2016. I don't know why he didn't come forward with that then. Uh, he goes on to say, quote, I also know Ronald McKenzie well, and he is a genuine guy. There is something unexplained down there. My guess is it's a big eel, 20 to 30 feet long, unquote. So it's kind of weird. Now everyone thinks that the Loch Ness Monster is an eel. 
used to be the plesiosaur or plesiosaur, however you want to say it. Now it's just an eel. So uh, it's also important to note that Jacobite Cruises is a rival company on the lock to uh, McKenzie's organization. So this to me, I don't know, it's, it smells. It doesn't smell like old fish. It smells like an attempt to capitalize on the popularity of this story. Now, this is a pretty big trending story uh, of these two sonar snaps that have occurred uh, just probably around a month. Uh, it's not left the news that people are talking about it a lot in Scotland and all over the UK for that matter. So I don't know. Sounds like somebody's a little jealous here of uh, some attention. And if we said before, the Loch Ness Monster brings in a whole heaping amount of money to that area as far as uh, tourism is concerned. And uh, I don't know how much tourism is happening now. I'm sure there's a, a lot of people in the UK that are traveling there. Uh, but I guess they need every every pound they can get. Um, now, it's like I said before, it could be one of two. So it could be this. Uh, our traditional thought of the Loch Ness Monster, or Mitchie even stated he wonders if his image is possibly the lost model of Nessie that was used during the filming of the 1970s movie The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. The 30-foot model was discovered on the floor of the lock in June of 2016 with an extensive sonar sweep of the entire lock. And... Uh, the 30-foot model is uh, still on the floor of the Loch Ness. Uh, way too expensive to bring that up. So over 600 feet of water. I'm not going to go down there. They're not going to bring that up. You can't really dive in that water. It's just too murky. Way too dark. Way too sediment-filled. You can't see two inches in front of your face, even at that depth. Um, cold, choppy water. It's a, a very long, thin uh, lake, I'm sure there's a lot of current down there. So you're not going to see this this model come up. But basically, this model uh, was used in the filming. And I guess the director didn't want the humps on it, or there was uh, spines or something on this thing. And, and the, the architect of this said, you know, it's going to lose its buoyancy if we take those off. And the director's like, I'm the director. See this chair? I'm the director. So they had to remove this stuff, and, of course, it sank. And they ended up having to uh, use a smaller model. And they ended up not shooting on the lock at all. They used uh, uh, indoor stuff to uh, shoot that after that incident. So, uh, you know, budgets. Budgets back then. So, yeah, it was discovered in 2016, but it's still down there. And its location is known. They know exactly where it's at. So I'm not sure why Mitchie isn't sure if his photo is the model or not, he sh hopefully we should know where he took that picture. Um, yeah, I'm, okay, so how hard would it be to build a Nessie robot like the one they used in Jaws? That's a question in chat. Um, I don't know how much Jaws cost. I, I think they had two of those, didn't they, for the movie? Uh, one was just like the head, and the other was like the, the whole s one side, like the left side, because you never saw the right side because it was just a robot. Um, I do know that uh, there was a boat captain a few years ago that got in trouble because uh, they were filming an episode of some show, and he ended up using 
the uh, the piece of the Loch Ness monster thing that they were using to film this, and he was dragging it around on the back of his uh, his boat and took a picture and tried to pass it off as the Loch Ness monster. He got caught, and yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it'd be a few thousand bucks. I'm sure somebody could do that. There's uh, at least one life size model of the Loch Ness monster down there somewhere. I'd love to be out there. I'd love to uh, go out there one day. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That'd be kind of cool to see a, an animatronic Loch Ness Monster just jumping out of the water. All right, so enough cryptozoology, enough uh, monsters and alligators. Let's move into the UFO arena. And MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, has released their October sighting statistics. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. Uh, very early in the month of November, they were right on point. I think it was the 3rd of November, and I wasn't sure. You know, They're under new management now. I wasn't sure if they were going to release these numbers, but they did. They did. Uh, and if you remember, you've been listening to the show for a while, you... Uh, you probably know there was a huge surge in the amount of sightings in April of this year, uh, more than likely a culmination of the events uh, of UFOs being in the mainstream news uh, when COVID wasn't mentioned and uh, people being locked down due to COVID-19. So uh, I think those things kind of tied together. Uh, people were home, people were bored, and uh, UFOs were also on the news quite a bit. Uh, it's been on the news for quite a while. Uh, since then, sightings uh, have really slowed down considerably. Now, you might not believe that if you read some of the headlines that are out there. There's a lot of stories floating around that say that sightings have reached an all-time high, which really and truly, unfortunately, isn't isn't true at all. Um, in September, there was 404 total sightings, according to MUFON, which is the lowest uh, in at least the last five years that they have produced as far as uh, citing statistics is concerned. Uh, again, there could be a lot of factors behind this, including the arrest of former MUFON executive director Jan Harzan back on July 3rd, which uh, gave the organization its latest black eye. Um, but also you have to consider, again, I talked about all these stories of UFO sightings continually on the rise. And there is a plethora, an ongoing flow of stories uh, that are talked ab talking about UFO sighting statistics. And they're all from the National UFO Reporting Center, known as New Fork. Uh, so they're getting probably, they're getting a lot more good attention a lot more free press than MUFON. So uh, I think New Fork is probably passing them up as, as far as uh, setting statistics are concerned. Uh, they don't really release all their numbers the way MUFON does because it's basically just a couple of people doing uh, New Fork. Uh, but I would say that they're probably working a lot harder than MUFON at this point. Uh, and the, the tide has shifted because they're more... Uh, out there, they're tied in with the media a lot more. MUFON is just MUFON. They're just a website pretty much at this point. And uh, the hardcore people that follow it. You don't really hear MUFON out there in the, the media too much anymore. It's very few and far in between that they're mentioned. Um, and that's their fault. 
uh, I think they could do better. And I think that that would help their sighting statistics a little bit. Um, but this pandemic has really helped New Fork become, uh, I don't want to say a household name again, like they were when the, the X-Files was on TV. People, everybody knew what New Fork was. Um, but yeah, I think they're taking some reports away from MUFON. So as far as October is concerned, now, again, if you listen to the show, you know I, I try to make predictions. It's more like horrible guesses. Um, but my prediction was uh, for October was 439 total sightings and 351 in the United States. Uh, so again, this was versus uh, 404 and 313 from the previous month. Uh, I figured it would, uh, you know, it bounce back a little bit. Well, I wasn't too far off, uh, but again, I gave the statistics a little bit more credit as uh, it, it failed to reach that mark. Uh, Mufon only reported a total of 414 total worldwide sightings and 340 from the United States. That's pretty close. It was off by 11 for the uh, U.S. Uh, numbers there. Uh, now, their initial email was a little confusing because MUFON stated the total was 404. And I was thought, well, wait a minute. I know that's last month. Uh, but then you look at the country list, and that total is 414. Come on, guys. Accuracy is important when you're talking about statistics. So I was a little confused. Uh, I don't know who uh, proofreads that stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's in the budget, but if you guys need, need me to do that, uh, I can do it for you. Uh, of the 414 total sightings, uh, the United States, surprise, led the way with 340. Uh, Canada was second with 34. The United Kingdom was third with 19. Germany had three. Australia, Ireland, Poland, and India had two each. And there was 10 other countries that turned in one report each. And I think that's the lowest amount of countries I've ever seen turn in reports since I've been looking at these. I've been looking at them pretty heavily, these sighting statistics, since uh, 2015. Uh, but uh, I've also been a MUFON member longer than that, so I've kind of been watching this for quite a while. And uh, of the U.S. reports of the 340, uh, California led the way, as they normally do, with 56, and again, because they uh, have the most population of any state. So statistically speaking, they should have the most UFO reports. Not really a UFO destination by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, New York and Texas were next with 26 reports each. Pennsylvania had 16. Florida, 14. Ohio, 13. Arizona had 12. North Carolina, 11. Michigan and Colorado had 10 each. And Oregon, Massachusetts, and Missouri had nine apiece. And just like last month, these numbers are really, really low. I'm not even going to break things down that I usually do with the uh, per capita stuff because uh, it's just really statistically insignificant. None of these states really were to register very high. It's normally... 0.2 or or 0.3 or that's about it uh, but they, these would be much lower than that uh, but I will make my uh, monthly prediction 
that I think next month, I'm going to guess it's going to be in between October and September, but probably closer to September's low mo- uh, monthly total. And I think I'm going to go with, uh, let me sure, let me make sure I got this written down. Nope, I don't. All right, so we're going to go 402 total sightings with 327 in the United States. So if you're keeping score, I know uh, Dita generally writes these down. She holds me accountable for that. Uh, 402 total, 327 U.S. is my prediction. And let me write that in my in my notes here so I am honest about this. Not that I would lie, but... Yep, so 402, 327. So we shall see what happens next month. Uh, usually November actually dips. So I'm I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. But, again, I think there's a lot of things working against MUFON. They're not really uh, – it's like it's the organization's like on cruise control right now. I don't know who's steering that ship. Uh, but they need to get out there. They need to get some uh, articles written. They need to get some uh, – Get some time out there. And, uh, yeah, again, they're citing statistics, so it doesn't matter if it happened in 1965, 1995, or 2020, November 1st. Uh, any report that's taken for that month of November is automatically counted in these monthly statistics. So if it happened 20, 30 years ago in January and they reported it last month, it goes for the November statistics. I don't really like it that way. I think they, they can break it down a lot better than that. But they don't. Um, I would think that uh, the statistics that they gather should be more important than um, having 50 investigators per state going out investigating these cases. I mean, yeah, investigating is important. Um, but you got to have somebody that's disseminating all this information because that's where it's at in my opinion, but uh, what do I know? Um, but we'll see. They, if their numbers continue to dwindle, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that organizations, my opinion, I, I think it's kind of on life support as it is right now. So, uh, you know, losing these statistics, you know, lose the caseloads and you're going to lose investigators and that's going to lose those checks that get written every month to support the organization. Uh, Also in UFO news, Tom DeLong, well, he's back in the news again, the former Blink-182 and current Angels and Airwaves singer and guitarist, who's, uh, yeah, coincidentally, he's out there as the co-founder of the To The Stars Academy. He's in the news all the time. We know this guy. Uh, He stirred up some trouble over the weekend, when doesn't he stir up trouble, especially on social media? Well, DeLong posted a video of a UFO that was uploaded to the world back in 2012 because everything was real on the Internet back in 2012. Uh, on his Instagram post, he captioned it with the hashtag Secret Machines. I don't know if he knows how to spell, but he spelled Secret, S-E-K-R-E-T, uh, Secret Machines. And I'll throw, uh, let's see, in the chat room, I'm going to throw a clip, well, just an image of a clip of the video. Uh, I can't really get a whole lot of stuff from this, but this might jar your memory because this uh, this was a pretty popular 
UFO video back eight years ago for a little while. There was a little bit of discussion about this, uh, but it ended up being uh, proven to be a fake video. Uh, so it didn't take too long for those who actually know about UFO videos to step forward and point out to good old Tom that the video is a verified fake that was produced by a known hoaxer at the time. In the video, a black craft hovers over a field while the shaky camera films it while zooming in and out a few times. This was something that um, pretty much since 2008 has been the standard for UFO videos. A shaky hand filming uh, a scene where a UFO moves through it. And it's it's done to kind of mess your mess up your eyes and make you think it's more real than what it is. But it's it's really just a clever technique of Photoshop and uh, other video editing software uh, to make things appear a little bit more real than what they are. And when you're watching this, it, it just, you can just tell it's fake, uh, let alone the fact that this um, 3D model was used in a, in a couple of other videos and just kind of slightly altered. Now, the guy that brought this to light, uh, one of the shining examples of, I don't want to call him a skeptic, he's a realist, he points things out when he, call, he calls it what it is. Scott Brando of UFO of Interest, UFO of Interest, a big fan of his. Uh, I really love his work. He doesn't uh, pull any punches, and he, but he does his research. He just doesn't make claims. He actually does the work to prove these things one way or the other, and they're pretty much all fakes and hoaxes. Uh, but he does the legwork. He, he gets the validation. He just doesn't jump to a conclusion like a lot of people do. Uh, he quickly pointed out that this video had been deemed a fake since it had been uploaded to YouTube about eight years ago. The uh, Again, the 3D model was also used on other hoaxed videos on that particular user's channel. Uh, Brando's posts uh, point out his uh, debunk of the video as well and ask if uh, DeLong actually thinks the video footage is genuine. Honestly, I don't think it's the first time that I've seen Tom DeLonge post videos that were known fakes, but um, this one really got some people uh, a little upset at uh, good old Tom. Um, I mean, Scott Brando is a really excellent researcher, uh, debunks a lot of fake and hoax UFO videos, and he does point out the people behind them as well. So really, again follow his work. I really appreciate what he does for the field. Trying to keep it clean. Trying to keep the uh, the riffraff in the corners uh, from taking over the field. Um, yeah, this video, definitely, I completely agree. Uh, the background of this video alone is enough to cry hoax. Um, those on social media who saw DeLong's post seem to mostly agree he's not so smart to publish this with the uh, seeming intent to believe that it's authentic, and he's losing fans. Uh, not of his music, well, maybe of his music too, I don't know, I haven't heard of his, his new stuff lately, but uh, people aren't buying some of this stuff anymore. He's got caught with a few things, you know, over the course of the last couple of years. I don't know, maybe he's just going to go full-time back into music. Maybe just drop this UFO stuff. I don't know, we'll see. He says he's been into this since he was a kid, but I got a feeling he's just gonna he's just gonna duck out pretty soon. Uh, things keep going the way they're going for him. 
In other news, some troubling news out of Puerto Rico. The 60-year-old Arecibo radio telescope was damaged back in 2017 by Hurricane Maria, and repairs had taken a lot of time to complete for a variety of reasons. The damage was then, uh, back then, during the hurricane, was actually considered minimal. Uh, But back in August of this year, an auxiliary support cable detached from the antenna platform, causing uh, some significant damage. The cable ripped a 30-meter or 100-foot gash in the 307-meter or 1,000-foot-wide dish, uh, ripped out some of the aluminum uh, panels that uh, help capture the uh, the radio frequencies. Uh, the cable was one of six that were added back in 1994 when new antennas were installed to help with the added weight. Uh, the receiver is a 900 is actually on a 900 ton platform suspended 150 meters or 492 feet above the dish by 18 cables running through three reinforced concrete towers. So there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of stuff suspended in the air, and it's uh, you know, 1,000 feet wide. That's that's pretty big. It's all solid metal. Um, but unfortunately, on November 6th, one of the 12 main cables snapped and again tore through the telescope's main dish, causing even more significant damage. But this was one of the main cables, not an auxiliary cable. And this now leads to the potential for some catastrophic damage to the radio telescope if any other cables are to give way. Last month, the University of Central Florida, which leads a consortium that leads the observatory, applied for a $10.5 million grant for emergency repairs from the National Science Foundation, who actually took over ownership of the telescope back in 2018. No word on if that money is going through, but uh, you know you can't evaluate forever. They got to make a move. Uh, Arecibo was the world's largest radio dish all the way up until 2016, when China's 500-meter aperture spherical radio telescope. What a mouthful! Let's just call it fast. Actually, they do call it fast. The 500-meter aperture spherical radio telescope. Uh, when that was turned on, it became the biggest. Obviously, 500 meters. Um, Arecibo directly imaged an asteroid in 1989 for the first time in history. The first telescope of any kind to do so. It also helped lead to the discovery of the first three exoplanets ever discovered. And in 1974, a simple message was sent out into space, which is known as the Arecibo message. The telescope is also the home of the source data for the SETI at Home project, which burned through probably three of my computers. Uh, SETI, of course, is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. It could also be said that Arecibo uh, is indirectly responsible for the popularity of Chupacabra. Yeah. Uh, as the movie Species is used, uh, they use the telescope as a plot device, and the movie is said to have basically led to the first official sighting of a chupacabra in 1995 by Madeline Tolentino, who was uh, more than likely directly influenced by that movie. Uh, Arecibo's future is now 
in doubt. With this latest damage and currently uh, the structure is being investigated to see if faulty cables were used. Uh, they've blocked off this the whole dish and no one's really allowed anywhere near it right now. This whole thing could collapse at any time. And if that were to happen, I don't know, probably just going to be left there and abandoned. That would be catastrophic. Uh, it's still it's still one of the biggest in the world, and it's still very valuable when it's operational. Um, and they're looking to see if there's any way to stabilize the structure to avoid more cables from snapping. And, uh, yeah, hopefully avoiding a complete collapse. That's not good news. Uh, Arecibo is still very valuable to the science uh, for the uh, for astronomy. Just um, kind of devastating to an extent that we'll probably never know. Um, speaking of mysteries in the sky, astronomers have recently announced that the mysterious radio waves known as fast radio bursts or FRBs not MIBs, FRBs, might have occurred in our galaxy. So fast radio bursts were discovered back in 2006 and last from a fraction of a millisecond to a few milliseconds pretty quick. Uh, that's why they're fast radio bursts. Uh, they also contain as much energy as what the sun is capable of putting out in about three days. That's a lot of energy. Um, Try sitting out for three straight days in the sun and uh, see what happens to your skin. And you're 93 million miles away. Uh, the fast radio bursts discovered so far have been difficult to locate due to being very sporadic and obviously being so quick to begin as well as end. And you don't know where they're coming from. Uh, so nobody knows really where to point any kind of satellite to, uh, to hopefully capture one. But uh, on April 28th of this year, scientists recorded a pair of fast radio bursts that appear to have happened within the Milky Way galaxy for the first time. And this is due to being the most powerful ones yet discovered. Uh, scientists think that black holes, neutron stars, and maybe even magnetars could be possible explanations for fast radio bursts. No, that's not a, a Pokemon. Maybe it is a Pokemon. I don't remember. Um, so that's your news, but I do have the book of the week. And I was thinking, uh, as I was kind of putting together this, this week's show and I was looking through the books of the week, I only have one astronomy book and I think it's like four or five years old and, you know, astronomy changes constantly. It's one of the few sciences that radically updates constantly. I mean, earth science, biology, these things do uh, change over time, but I, I think it's a lot slower than all the things from astronomy. It's it's funny because uh, I just moved into a new house a few months ago and I looked through some of my books that I brought with me, and my astronomy books, some of these are just way outdated. There's information that's just not even accurate anymore. It's just amazing. You wouldn't think that stuff in space would change that much, but our knowledge does. And the book of the week this this uh, this week is called universe and it's a book by the smithsonian uh it's a dk book it's a third edition so it's new it's updated from the second and the first edition this edition here came out uh this year september 8th of 2020 and there's a handful of updates in this book from the last uh two updates and you can get that on amazon 
Uh, looks like the hardcover is uh, about 32 bucks, but this is it's worth it because this book is huge. Uh, it's 528 pages. It's six pounds of knowledge uh, that should uh, bring up to speed on what's going on out there in the universe. Uh, there's a lot of good TV shows out there, but I've even seen some TV shows on Netflix and um, I think there's some on Disney Plus as well. I've seen some of those and some of those shows. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not accurate information anymore because some of these shows are five or ten years old and it's full of misinformation because things change uh, so i'm offering this book as the book of the week because it's new and update information and it talks about pretty much anything and everything you can think of in regards to outer space the galaxy uh, space and the universe so that is this week's book of the week. doesn't really have an author here. That's what I was looking for. But, uh, yeah, it's just from the Smithsonian. Yeah, it's just a new edition, third edition. It's got Mars on the front cover. Pretty neat book, huge book. Now, I've seen this book uh, in a bookstore. I didn't really want to touch books because of COVID. Uh, but I looked at it. It was really, really intrigued. I think it was a lot more than... $32. I think it was like 50 bucks, so I didn't buy it. Um, but it's on my list, and I have read a lot about it. It's actually saved. I have a little file here, and I save all these books I want. I'm up to 180-some-odd, 100 88 or 89 books that I want to buy. Actually, no, I've I got seven or eight of these, so I should cross those off. But anyway, Universe by Smithsonian, a DK book. It's pretty much the author, third edition Came out this year, September 8th, 2020, is your book of the week uh, because you got to know about the universe. It's very important to know what's up there. And I'm sure they got a chapter three on fast radio bursts as well. So that's your news for this week. Uh, we will be back next week. No presidential election. That's over with. Thank goodness. Cross that off the list. Uh, so. Keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>